0: You're listening to Father Kirby Longo's homilies, powered by Mountain Catholic. Father Kirby is a priest of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Helena, the parochial vicar of St. Anne's Parish in Butte, Montana, and chaplain of Butte Central Catholic Schools. Enjoy. This is the the last, the last of the four talks on theological anthropology that we're going to do, and it's unfortunate I realized with that it's impossible to do in four talks. So we got a lot to try and cover, but I'm not gonna try to cover it all because it's just impossible. So we're gonna skip ahead a little bit, certainly in the history of the church, but uh, first I would like to review just kind of what we've gone through to, hopefully by the end of this, you guys can get somewhat of a big picture of what the church teaches on who we are. So first, our first talk, The Lodge was, the the fundamental message was that we were created out of nothing by a God who loves us. Uh, Yeah, we weren't created out of the body of a dead dragon that was split in half. It's it's a great image, but that's not true. So we were created out of nothing by a God who loves us. Uh, And then we rejected God and fell, and those effects of that fall have Come through time with us. We talked a little bit about that. Uh, the, and the kind of four main effects of original sin. They're worth they're worth remembering. So one of them was ignorance, and that's we can't we can't learn good, you know. And that was a zoolander reference. Come on. Zoolander is school for kids who can't read good and want to do other good things, other things good too. But we can't learn well. We, 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 we pursue the truth, but, but we don't enjoy it, and we don't comprehend it when we find it. And then malice, which is, we just have weak wills. We want to do something we can't. We even just want to get out of bed in the morning. You snooze your alarm instead. It, our will is weak. And then, and then also weakness, which is somewhat different. It's like, we see the life of a saint, and we see that it's good, and we recoil before that good. We're like terrified of it. Uh, or we see greatness in any capacity. If any of you have seen the movie Free Solo that just came out. It's incredible. Alex Honnold, Free Solo. El Capitan. Biggest wall on earth. And you look at that and that's a great, it's a great accomplishment. And it's terrifying. It's also not necessarily prudent. But it's still a great thing and, and a terrifying thing. Uh, so... And then concupiscence, which is the desire for pleasure that is unreasonable, that we know, so we know that it's unreasonable, but we have that desire. Um, we all have that concupiscence. So, and then we studied the cross. What is the cross? It's the sacrifice that put to death, you know, death. It, it put to death the curses of the law that we had upon us. Uh, Jesus is that scapegoat, uh, that takes away our sin and swallows it up in death. And then, uh, and then we moved into where, where are we going? And so I talked a little bit about the early church, especially the early desert fathers and mothers who kind of, in, in so many ways, like intensely manifested the total change that had taken place in the world through the church, which was that people were living in a new and totally radical way. Dedicating themselves to God, but also to the service of the poor, um, so to transform the world. Uh, they called it the, you know, Basil called it the, the life of philosophy, to leave everything. And so, so we're out of session, so we have to skip seventeen hundred years to now. But I will tell you that in those seventeen hundred years, not, I, a lot changed, but nothing changed. What didn't change was that people have not stopped living in a radical way for Christ, at all. Over the course of those whole 1700 years, uh, when you go to study the history of the church, which is well worth it, uh, you will learn that. Uh, that through every age, people in the t- throughout the entire world have been living their lives in radical ways for Christ. So, in the final part of the question, the where are we going question, uh, we're going to kind of look at, uh, I would say, on a fundamental level, we're going to look at like, the preparation of our heart for heaven, what that means. And, and I don't mean preparation of our heart in the sense that like we, we like get ready for heaven and we earn our way there somehow. That's not the way it goes. It's the work of God. But God, in some mysterious way, has chosen to make us real participants in that work. We actually, God, God actually demands that we become perfect. It's through his grace, but he wants us to become perfect. So, so todays I don't want to say it's like the culmination of what we're studying or, or, or theological anthropology, but it is, in a sense, like it's an application to a few questions. Uh, and they're questions that you guys asked me to address at the beginning of the year, and so I wanted to do this whole thing in order to get to the point when we could maybe address these questions. That's what those other three talks were for, and we'll get to the questions. But the main question that I want to ask now, and I don't want, you don't have to give an answer out loud, but I want you to, I'm going to give you at least 20 seconds to think about it because that's how long it takes to formulate a creative thought. And uh, so the, the question is, does God want us to be happy? Does God want us to be happy? And then the sub question is, is the teaching of the church part of God's plan for our happiness? So does God want us to be happy? And is the teaching of the church in a sense, the way to that happiness? So I'll give you 20 seconds. Okay, hopefully you formulated a creative thought and can remember that later. <clears throat> because, because I, I mean, I don't want to ask that out loud, only because you guys are the CYC board. It's not like anyone in here is going to say no. You know, like it, It's pretty obvious that you, at least on some level, believe that God wants us to be happy or you wouldn't be here, like, giving yourself in some way for God. But the fact that we sin means that we don't actually believe that. Because what, because what is sin? It's, it's going against God's will. And when we choose to go against God's will, then we are, we are making the claim that something other than God is going to be what makes us happy. Because do you guys believe, who in here believes that everything we do, we do because we think it's good? Okay, so it's about 40%, I'd say. Well, that, it's true. Everything we do, we do because we think it's good. So, And I'll give you some examples. So one example, I steal a loaf of bread because either I or my family am starving. So you would say, well, that's not a good thing, and you didn't do it. But I did it because I think the good of my family eating is greater than the evil of stealing that loaf of bread. So I still think it's a good thing, and that's a pretty easy one. You know, like, oh, it's a loaf of bread. More difficult. So I'm a a married man, and I walk in, and my wife's having an affair. And I'd kill either her or the man she's having an affair with. Crazy thing, but it happens, and it happens often enough that it's a legitimate question. Is that man doing that because he thinks it's good? Well, he's doing it because he, he, I mean, you can imagine the train of thought. This person said they would give their life to me, and they didn't. And in a sense of kind of justice, I'm going to impose that justice myself. So the person who does that in the moment is thinking that this is just. So the third one. When I was a teenager, I guess I'm start recording this, I stole hood ornaments. I was I was arrested for it, so I, I served time. But I stole hood ornaments. What about that is good? What was I thinking as a teenager when I was taking a hood ornament? Uh, well. Literally, the only thing that outweighed what I thought was obviously wrong about that was this is fun and kind of exciting when people chase after you. And that, that was the only good I needed. And so, so we can tell from two, at least two of the three of these that the person might think it's good. It doesn't mean it's good. So everything we do, we do because we think it's, a, it's the right thing at that moment for at least me. But what Thomas Aquinas distinguishes between is the good and the apparent good. So we might think something's good, it doesn't mean that it's good, like truly. But then, the question that the world's always asking is how do you judge beforehand? Because sometimes you get the afterthought, I'm like, oh my gosh, after getting busted by the police, it obviously wasn't a good thing for me to steal a hood ornaments, it wasn't worth it, but I, it took me getting punished for that to realize that it was an apparent good and not a good. How do we judge beforehand What's good? How do we actually know ahead of time how we are to be? So, first I want to kind of maybe give what the world would say about that today. Uh, What's the world say about how to judge what's good and what's not good? Well, we kind of, I think today the main principle of judgment for people is total autonomy. That's kind of the, that's the principle that drives us in our society today. What does total autonomy mean? It means that when it comes to considering what's good or how we ought to live our life, we should consider ourselves, our personal desires, our feelings. That's kind of, that's the ultimate judge. And the only thing that ought to hinder us from pursuing any of those is whether or not that hurts someone else. So if it, if it imposes something on someone else or if it, or if it kind of impedes someone else's desires, then it might not be good, but everything else, as long as we want it and we desire it, it's good. So then happiness, according to the world, would be the fulfillment of those desires. Uh, That there's no use in denying yourself those things because why would you, in a sense, suppress any of that? So then, and then the third would be that that autonomy is total, at least over you, uh, that that our bodies don't, don't necessarily tell us anything. That our autonomy extends even to uh, everything about us. Body, mind, spirit, all of that. We, we, in a sense, own it. We're the creators of our own being. So then, maybe take those kind of principles and compare them to, contrast them to uh, the church. What does the church say about happiness? So, first, that, that we are good. We were created good, we know that. Uh, God says at the end of every single day of creation that we're good, that what He created was good, and He says about us that we're very good. But that we're honest about the fall. So we have to be honest about original sin. Those four wounds still exist. We experience them every day. And so then we have the tendency to see apparent goods instead of goods. And pursue those things. And we, and we kind of know that from our own experience. We don't have to prove that philosophically. It's often, it's often actually in denying ourselves what we want that we're going to be happy. So can you guys think of a very practical example of like denying yourself something and you know that denying yourself that thing that you want is going to make you happy. So what that comes down to is like we, we know that we can't on some level we know that we can't always trust our desires that they aren't always going to lead us to God. You know, in some cases, I would say if we know our deepest desires, we know that our deepest desires for God, but we can't always trust them. Uh, and, and that means that we have crosses that we bear, whether they're results of just like a broken world, uh, whether, you know, whether we are just born with like some sort of disability, uh, whether, you know, we have some sort of, like, we have an imperfect body. I, I was born in the right time. I have no thyroid. I would have been dead if I was born earlier than 50 years ago, you know. Thank God for Synthroid. I pre- live a pretty much normal life. So, we, in a sense, I have an, I have an imperfect, broken body um, that I'm going to deal with for the rest of my life. And we, we have wounds that other people have given us, and we have wounds that we have because of our own actions, and many of those will not be healed in this life. Some of them will. God might, in a sense, do some sort of miraculous work in our life. Others might help us to heal those wounds. Uh, they might be wounds that can be healed through forgiveness. Or, uh, but there are things that will not be healed in this life. St. Paul says it about himself. I was given a thorn in my flesh to torment me three times. I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said... My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Uh, So so we have certain things, whether they're just a part of the natural world or a part of kind of our spiritual brokenness that may or may not be healed in this life. And that means that we can't always trust our desires. And so if we want to be happy, we examine our own desires. And then in a sense, we we subject them to the scrutiny of Christ and his church. Uh, and we have to do that in every area of our life. Whenever we find that, that they don't align with what the church teaches, then we have a choice. We can either turn away from the teachings of the church, follow our desires, and hope that they're actually going to be what leads us to happiness. Or, or despite the fact that we don't even feel this way, we can conform ourselves to the church's teaching uh, over against our own desires and, and trust that, that God's will is going to be what makes us happy. And so I'm, I mean, I'm speaking in theory right now, uh, but, but is this an easy thing? No, it's not an easy thing in any part of our life. Um, and, our, and our culture actually is totally against this in almost every part of our life. Uh, but we'll just bring it to the specific. If you or a family member or someone you know has same-sex attraction, then they immediately feel like their only options are to... Either leave the church to live that lifestyle that they that they feel very sure about. Like this is, in a sense, regardless of where it came from, it's it's who I am. It's either that or subordinate themselves to church teaching, aka live a celibate, live celibate chastity for the rest of your life. That seems to be the only two options. Uh, same with if you have a friend that's, you know doesn't like their body because they feel like they were that they belong to the opposite sex they're they're transgender then they feel like their only options are transition which means leaving the church or endure what feels like a lie and hope that somehow god's going to provide peace and joy in the midst of that when when in a sense they feel those demands suddenly put on them those are difficult things it's not it's not easy and not only is it not easy it's sudden that, that I think for a lot of us, our struggles are, are things that in a sense we've kind of dealt with over time as we've grown up and that, and that we still feel like we have time. Whereas in these areas, someone feels like they have to make the decision now. Uh, so that's difficult. Why, why does it feel like we only focus in in some ways um, in, an inten- in such an intense way upon these sort of particular areas of sexuality? Well, that's not actually true. In fact, the church demands of us uh, a total self-giving in all those areas. So regardless of whether your desires are, uh, whether you have same-sex attraction or you're just a heterosexual person, the church demands holiness of us no matter who we are. Uh, and and the, the willingness to abandon ourselves to to the Lord in all things, um, and to begin that difficult work of chastity, no matter our state of life. But the reason that it feels so kind of sudden and demanding, I think is because, because the difference in perspectives here, when I talk about total autonomy, like the, wor- the way that our culture sees the world, and the way that the church sees the world, which is in a sense, we, we're not the masters of our universe. We subject ourselves to something greater, which is God's will. The reason that seems so intense is because that's a totally different worldview. Like, we actually have to conclude that, that, that the world is a different place in order to make that sort of shift. Paul says, Paul says it in Romans. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And when he says renewal of your mind, the word in Greek literally means like to be walking one direction and to turn 180 degrees and walk in the other direction. That's what he means when we, when we by the way that the gospel transforms our minds. It's so incredible and full uh, that it just changes the way that we look at the world. And that's why this feels like such an overwhelming thing sometimes. Uh, as whether, whether you're dealing with it Yourself, or with a friend, or with a family member. You feel like you're demanding something that's impossible. Uh, or, the only other option is to embrace the situation, and then to feel like, like you can't be a part of the church anymore. Uh, and so, is this all like really, really difficult, and, and kind of terrifying, and mysterious in some ways? Yes. I think just being a Christian, if we're honest, is all of those things. Being a Christian is a difficult and terrifying and mysterious thing. And is it what's going to bring us joy? Yes. I think we have a very fixed idea of what happiness and joy look like in this world. And I think we are almost always wrong. Like when I thought about what life was going to bring me joy at your age, celibate priesthood was not in the top ten. I don't even think it was in the top 500. And, and yet, like when it came down to it, the only thing in this life that was going to bring me joy was being a priest. And the Lord knew that. And he guided me to it in weird and mysterious and terrifying ways. All right. So if we follow the Lord, I can almost promise you that the joy that he brings you is not going to be anything like what you imagine it's going to be. Like when you think about this is the life I need to make me happy. That is not the life that you need to make you happy. I'm almost certain of that. Unless we've got some like really young mystics in the room, but, but we have to trust that the only thing that's going to make us happy is following the Lord in all of this. Uh, And, and when it comes to handling this in the world, certainly charity has to be our guide. Do we, do we make the demands, uh, immediately and intensely. No, so many of these things are about relationship. Uh, I currently have, currently have a, a close friend that I'm writing a letter to on this exact topic. And that letter has taken me, at this point, eight months to write. And I'm still not done with it. And so, and that's a close friend. So when we think about the way in which we go about uh, I would say not even just in these areas, in any area, the call to holiness of those around us, uh, it takes incredible care and charity uh, and always uh, drenching everything in prayer. Kind of come back to that question, does God want us to be happy? Does he love us and does he want us to be happy? The, the, the answer is absolutely. It's the only way to happiness. Uh, but sometimes that requires an incredible, a deep and a profound trust uh, that, that, that sometimes seems impossible and certainly in the eyes of the world seems ridiculous. Uh, but that's what the Lord's calling us to. So uh, we'll just close down here with prayer and then I'll... Uh, Father Chris can come up here and we've got time for, time for questions. And, uh, and not just right now, if you've got questions that you want to ask, ask in front of the whole group or you've got, or you just want to say, Father, that, I don't really appreciate that talk. I think you're a jerk. Say that anytime. But, but uh, I'll be here all weekend because I live here. So uh, you can talk to me anytime over the part of this weekend or anytime into the future. I'm always available. So we'll close in prayer and then do some question and answer. In the Holy Spirit, Lord, we ask you now and always to make us desire your will in such a deep and profound way that it transforms our lives. Uh, help us to desire you, your friendship, and intimacy with you more than anything else in this world. Uh, and help us to live that in a joyful way in a way that witnesses to others in this world that you are the only source of joy. Uh, Blessed Mother, you who suffered so much but lived such a life of joy, guide us to your Son's heart uh, and wrap your mantle around us and be with us always. As we pray through your intercession, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus.